Okay, the parasha is Hanan. Everybody knows that Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu was punished. His punishment was that he wouldn't get to go to Eretz Yisrael. But at the beginning of the parasha of Hanan, Moshe Rabbeinu begs HaKadosh Baruch Hu again to let him go to Eretz Yisrael. And that request is refused. And so of course, uh, the question applies... Uh, obviously in both directions. If Moshe Rabbeinu asked why in fact was he refused, we have to assume that if Moshe Rabbeinu davened, he thought that there must have been a chance that the answer would be positive. Because after all, we're talking about Moshe Rabbeinu who knew about davening. And he knew about bakashot. And he spent his whole life doing that. So on the one hand, you would think that if Moshe Rabbeinu asked, there was reason to imagine that it would happen. On the other hand, on the other hand, it didn't happen. So what was it? Uh, why was HaKadosh Baruch so severe with uh, Moshe Rabbeinu? These are kind of the ideas that exist as we think about, as we think about Moshe Rabbeinu. The first pasuk in the parasha, Moshe Rabbeinu reminds the people of what happened, that he tried to beseech God to allow him to go to Eretz Yisrael, and he was refused, and, B'nai, and then Moshe Rabbeinu blames it on B'nai Yisrael. It was your fault. It was your fault. Now, what we're interested in is this opening pasuk. Uh, when you look at everything carefully, it becomes a little bit more difficult. Uh, the first word, at Hanan, is similar in the fact that it's hitpa'el to the word hitpa'el. Right? We know that in Hebrew, just one second, I'm sorry. As I've often said, no one ever calls me, but when I leave the phone on, then somebody calls me. So, that etpa'el, right? In Hebrew, you all know that etpa'el is the binyan that's called hitpa'el. I mean, you may remember from your early days as a student. Hitpa'el is often uh, described as reflexive. I do it to myself. Hitlabashti, I dressed myself. Istaparti, I, you know, I got a haircut, which is true. And uh, that's hitpa'el. Now, what does hitpa'el mean? What's it got to do with the hit binyan? Because of all the things that you don't do to yourself, hit palel is one of the leading ones, right? You daven to God. You daven in that direction and not in this direction. So, what? Uh, you're telling me how the binyan hit palel, uh, hit pa'el fits in with hit palel. I, I don't know, maybe. But what I wanted to say, what I wanted to say is that the word vatchanan is also in the hit pa'el. So whatever it means, whatever it means, why, whatever the reason, right, reasons are not so easy to come, for, uh, come by, real reasons. The hit pa'el was the binyan that was kind of the davening binyan. 
So now is there a difference, now that we know that, is there a difference between that Palel and that Hanan? I mean, every time we daven, every time we daven, we probably want something. I mean, we want it badly, I suppose, that Hanan, that Palel. Okay, El Hashem, Ba'etahi Lemor. Ba'etahi refers to the time that we are talking about, that story that is being told. But why does the Pasuk have to emphasize Ba'etahi? Of course, Moshe Rabbeinu is telling the story, so it's Ba'etahi. Now let's see how Rashi changes our understanding of what's going on. Rashi says, Rechanan, Ein Chanun Bekol Makom, is somehow, according to Rashi, related to the other Hebrew word, chet nun mem. Okay, a mem and a nun, they sound the same, a little bit. You could imagine that somebody could make a mistake, but in a nun, for a mem, but Rashi says that chanein, when you use that word, it's matnat chinam. What does matnat chinam mean? What does matnat chinam mean? So when you go, you stand before God. You have two possibilities. Either you could say, I want it and I deserve it. Or you could say, I want it even though I don't deserve it. I want it even though I don't deserve it. That's matnat chinam. I have nothing to offer. I have, nothing to, I have nothing to say. You remember the Armavino after the Milchama that he fought to redeem Lot. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, Tzcharcha Habei Ma'od. Tzcharcha Habei Ma'od. Rashi says that Moshe Armavino was afraid that he kind of used up all his credits in this battle against the kings. That, 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 uh, that Armavino... I wouldn't be able to, he wouldn't be able to depend on anything anymore. It was over. So HaKadosh Baruch says to him, you still have a lot of merit. Well, the assumption is that to David, I mean, you need merit. That's why in Hasidut, I mean, not only in Hasidut, but in Hasidut there is a very strong uh, idea that exists that you have to daven with somebody who's a better davener than you are. You know, you can't just stand there in a million by yourself or stand in a place where people are dabbing but you have to dabbing with people who you know dabbing better than you do and somehow connect to them this is like very much the Hasidic idea of tefillah like tefillah is not what you do it's what you do with the Rebbe and therefore they were very mocked very careful the Hasidim to go to the Rebbe from time to time not because they wanted to ask him a question but because they wanted to dabbing where the Rebbe was davening. Right? And this was, this is an idea, this is an idea, so that, that, that otherwise, you don't have much merit to bring to the table. But if you daven with the Rebbe, so the Rebbe brings the merit, because you're confident that he's a good person, or he's a great uh, and righteous person. So this is what Rashi says. Why was the word Hanun used instead of the word Palel? Why the et chanen and not red palel? Because the shomat not china. Avo pishi yes the rashi. What do you mean that not china? The Moshe Rabbeinu didn't have any any merit. Moshe Rabbeinu had nothing to say for himself. I mean, he didn't do anything good in his life. So Rashi says, 
It's a different definition of matnat chinam. It's not that you come to the table and you say, this is what I bring to the table. I have all these fuyot, all these merits. But Moshe Rabbeinu came and said, I'm not bringing any merits to the table. I want it to be a matnat chinam. I don't want it to be a deal. A matnat chinam means entirely from God. So I think that this means, according to Rashi, Moshe Rabbeinu learned that you could daven without it being a deal from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Who said, HaKadosh Baruch Hu said that, that there are people who are, that, that prayers are answered, but not on the basis of, uh, of accounting. You know, you have so many merits, and here you'll get something back in return. But it's a different, it's a different level. Devar Acher. Whatever Devar Acher means, I think we spoke about this in the past. Devar Acher. Ze'echad me'asorah l'shonot, shenikreit tefillah ke'de'ita b'sifrei. What's the Devar Acher? You know, Rashi, I always tell you, it's always very difficult when you understand what's being said. What? No, but what is the devil? Okay, but what's the other explanation? The other explanation that the Hanan is also a form of Shilah. Why is that? What? Why? 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 Rashi saying, what's the proof that it makes no difference? It says it's a great, that there are ten different, uh, that are interchangeable. So the Davar Acher is that the word, the question was, why the word Vetchanan? And the answer according to the Davar Acher is, well, you know, the Torah could have picked any one of ten, so pick this one. But, uh, uh, of course, you know, if you're a perceptive Rashi, like, why did Rashi do that? If Rashi had something to say about the Khanan, why does he have to say the Varcher? Why did he say the Varcher? Okay, so it's a question. You have to look at the Chava Lebu's sheets. Well, wherever they are printed now. And she'll explain it. But, uh, but that's a question. So now we know. Oh, we, know, we don't know yet. We're finished with Bet, Bet Khanan. And we're up to the Eitahi. Rashi says, "Lachar shekavash the eretz zichon ve'ol imiti shema hutar haneder." What does that mean? It was after the wars with zichon ve'ol. Where zichon ve'ol? Devayadei Mizracha on the eastern side of the Jordan River, right? Dimiti, I imagine to myself shema hutar haneder that somehow the gods promise not to let Moshe Rabbeinu go into Eretz Israel had been overridden somehow. Why did he imagine that? Why did he imagine that? Well, we learned it. We studied because Reuven and God of Chatzis Shevet Menashe were the inheritors of Eretz Israel by Ebayadein Mizracha. That means that Moshe Rabbeinu, according to the method we once learned, that Moshe Rabbeinu was already in Eretz Israel. So if he was in Eretz Israel, so he, so he said, what did he say? He said, maybe, maybe I can go to, I'm in Eretz Israel, so I shouldn't be able to, call, to cross the 
Jordan River to the western side of the Jordan River. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu said. So that helps us to explain, that helps us to explain why it's Vetchanan. Why is Vetchanan? What is Vetchanan according to the first interpretation of Rashi? Vetchanan means something for nothing. So Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't even davening. He was clarifying. According to this, is it true? Like he said, it's not like God, like Moshe Rabbeinu would daven for something impossible. But Moshe Rabbeinu looked around and he said, hey, this has already happened. If it's already happened, then I should be able to go to, you know, to go to Eretz Yisrael. So that's Vet Hanan. Not Vet Palel. Vet Palel is used for a time when you want something to happen that has not yet happened. But maybe Vet Hanan is like a clarification. At least according to Rashi. That's what he says in Ba'itahi. Ba'itahi, Le'imor, Rashi says, Ze'echad mishalosh mekomot sh'amar mosheh p'nei makom, Eini manichacha, so in other words, Rashi says that the word Lemor I mean the problem with Lemor is that there's no Lemor. Lemor usually introduces a quote that the, the Chachonim noted that there were places in the Torah where the word Lemor just seems to be hanging on a tree. It doesn't belong any place. So they said that Lemor means, and you know what he said. Right? This is one of the three places, according to Chazal, that Moshe Rabbeinu said, I'm not going to give up. So you have it in Rashi. You have Rashi these different things. On the one hand, Moshe Rabbeinu thought that maybe he would already be allowed to go to Eretz Israel. On the other hand, Moshe Rabbeinu said, I'm going to work to get into Eretz Yisrael. On the other hand, Moshe Rabbeinu said, I have to daven to get to Eretz Yisrael. All of these themes exist concurrently in Rashi. You look at the Ibn Ezra, the second, uh, the second source. The Ibn Ezra says, Hatam v'tchanan. Ukfar hitchananti. Keshchashari ekskir Yoshua v'amar tzivitiv. Rabbeinu realized that he would not be able to go to Eretz Yisrael because he had already begged God about going to Eretz Yisrael and therefore he gave it over to Yeshua Ben-Nun. So according to uh, according to uh, Ibn Ezra, Moshe Rabbeinu is telling a story to Bnei Yisrael. And he's telling them, look, I already did that. That Hanan, I already davened, I already tried. There's nothing for me to do. He's introducing the fact that he's going to pass the authority all over to Yeshua Ben Nun. That's what, that's what the Ibn Ezra says. But the Ibn Ezra, the word Ibn Hanan doesn't so much mean some sort of prayer, a kind of prayer, but it means I davened already, he's saying. I davened already and God said no and now I'm passing over the leadership to Yoshua Binun. So that's the Ibn Ezra. The Ibn Ezra sees uh, that Hanan not as being a particular kind of davening or uh, something explains about how to daven, but that Hanan says that I did it already. I already davened. You see the Ramban? The Ramban says that Hanan. Kasher is kibush eretz sichon in other words, the Ramban is similar to the Ibn Ezra. 
The Ramban says, when well, Moshe Rabbeinu is telling the story to B'nai Yisrael, he's saying, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to lead you, and I've already davened, and I've already tried, and there's no hope, and we've got to pass the Sharvit, the, the scepter, over to Yoshua, over to, over to Yoshua Ben-Nun. It's like a story. It's not happening. Moshe Rabbeinu is telling a story to B'nai Yisrael, because B'nai Yisrael is going to come and say, hey, wait a minute, we want you. We want you to bring us to Eretz Yisrael. Why'd you daven? Why'd you do something? You were able to save, save the entire nation. Why can't you save yourself? And he says, Kodesh Bochel told me you are not going to go. Yoshua is going to go. And your responsibility is to make sure that Yoshua is properly prepared for leadership. The Ta'am Ba'itahi. Remez. What's Beitahi? So Rashi says the Beitahi is the time that they that they beat Sichon and Oak. But the Ramban says, Ramban Laet Hagzeirah is Kiel. Gambiet Anafashem. I was all God was angry with me. Boonis Gresham Hatchina Biyom Hamase. And at that time, when when God told Moshe Rabbeinu in the book of Bamidbar, in the Pasha Baalotcha, when God said to, to, uh, to Moshe Rabbeinu, you're not going to go to Eretz Yisrael, you're going to be punished, we have no record of him davening. Say, oi vey, you know, I want to go to Eretz Yisrael, let me into Eretz Yisrael. He said, well, only skira shana t'china b'yom ha'maseh. V'anachon ki ba'etahi, ba'etah n'izkeret sh'kabash di sifon v'ogrit, chauti, this is the, the, the idea that we've said several times that when all it wasn't then when they did the, when they when they, when they he hit the rock with with the staff that Moshe Rabbeinu prayed to God to be allowed to go to Eretz Israel because that was with finality. But here, after the war against Sichon Va'og, which was certainly the beginning of the conquest of Eretz Israel, one way or the other, then Moshe Rabbeinu decided to die. That's the Ba'at Chanan. Four lines in the bottom of the last word, V'ka'ashelo shama Hashem v'kolo, Chazavit Balel, Moshe Rabbeinu died again. For new leadership, for the next the verse that would follow him. To Moshe Nisqar Sham, Yoshua. here, I think the Ramban is concentrating on what it took for Moshe Rabbeinu to pass the authority onto Yoshua. He had to be, had to understand that he come to the limits of his strengths. And he was not able. It was his, a person who could not save himself could also not be the leader of Am Yisrael. And that's what Moshe Rabbeinu understood at this, at this time. And he passed the scepter on to Yeshua that that God should appoint somebody to lead Ben Israel was answered. And Joshua Benun was appointed.
So you know that Chazal say that Moshe Rabbeinu had a certain love for Eretz Yisrael and because of his love for Eretz Yisrael, for the land of Israel, he wanted to go to Eretz Yisrael. And you say, what did he want to go to Eretz Yisrael for? I mean, he was an old man. And so he'd get to Eretz Yisrael. What, what was the... So the, the Sifri, the Medrash says that Moshe Rabbeinu wanted to do the mitzvot atliot ba'aretz. Which is... a uh, it's an interesting, uh, interesting uh, 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 position. Was Moshe Rabbeinu knew the Torah. Let's say an hour. We talk an hour concepts. Moshe Rabbeinu knew the Torah better than anybody else. So, so what do you make if you take Trumot and Masrot? I mean, you're in the Trumot and Masrot. I mean, you know about them. You know more about them than anybody else. So your connection, your connection to Trumot and Masrot through the Talmud Torah of Trumot and Masrot is... Um, is on a very high level. The same thing is true today, uh, where people learn about the Beit HaMikdash. So there's no Beit HaMikdash. But learning about the Beit HaMikdash creates a connection, a connection through the, through the Torah of the Beit HaMikdash. Right? Do you remember Tisha B'Av? It wasn't so many days ago. Uh, Tisha B'Av. So everybody knows that Avram Avinu asked, what happens if B'nai Yisrael don't have the schut, don't merit uh, Eretz Yisrael. But they get kicked out of Eretz Yisrael, which of course at the time the Gemara was written, the Gemara Tanis, not Kovzayin or Ra'al, the time that the Gemara was written, I mean, B'nai Yisrael had long been kicked out of Eretz Yisrael. So what happens? What, what guarantees? That, how could B'nai Yisrael guarantee their connection to Eretz Yisrael? So the Gemara says, well, they have to just learn the Torah of the Korbanot. Which may be the reason that we say Korbanot in the morning. But if you learn the Torah of Korbanot, you get the merit of having that connection. That's what, that's what, uh, uh, um, that's what uh, the Gemara says. So you never lose it. Like the Torah has that power to keep you connected. So why did Moshe Rabbeinu want to go to Eretz Yisrael? So the Medrash says, because he wanted to do the mitzvot at Lord And therefore, therefore, at least the Gemara thought that doing it is an extra dimension. And you don't have to do it. You don't have to do, I mean, how many people have to be farmers? How many people have to run the kashrut? I mean, next to no one. You know, very few people can do it for everybody. So, so, uh, so we all know about Trumot and Masrot. I don't know if anybody's ever taken Trumot and Masrot. Even though today I, somebody called me up from the Golan and asked me about Trumot and Masrot. I mean, it's like an annual Shiloh, but not more than annual. Because everybody knows that the Trumot and Masrot have been taken. I mean, that's how life is in Eretz Israel. It's very hard to defend the idea that there's something wrong with the way they take the Trumot and Masrot. It's not such a complicated thing to do. And yet, according to the Gemara, doing it is, is different. It makes you special. It's like specializes you in terms of the, of the mitzvah. So the Raman said that the reason that the Torah told us that Hanan el Hashem was to tell us about the love that Moshe Rabbeinu had for Eretz Yisrael. Not to tell us about Tfilah, and not to tell us, because that had already been, 
In other words, why was Moshe Rabbeinu tavening? He wasn't arguing about the, about the justice or that God's punishment was reasonable. He was just saying, you know, here I am. I know the whole Torah and I'm not going to have the opportunity to do it effectively. That's an idea. That's an idea that connects. Uh, I, I told you once I was in... Uh, I was once in Golders Green. Golders Green in London is a neighborhood where people would like to be Satmar Hasidim, but they look like more regular. You look like... So I go inside, I see there's a fruit store. You know, all these food, food stores at Golders Green are owned by Pakistanis. No Jew would ever do such a thing, you know, sell fruits and vegetables. I know there's fruit and vegetables, though there's a sign in Hebrew that all the fruits from Eretz Israel, none of them, Ma'atrumot and Ma'asrot, have not been taken. So I go to the Pakistani, and I say, what is this? He says, well, he says, the Jews, you know, they like to do it themselves. See, so when they had to go to Israel, and they had to find oranges that Truva didn't get a hold of, and had not taken Truva some oranges, so that the people in London, I said, it's a lot cheaper than Aliyah, right? To buy like a kilo of oranges and take Truva some oranges. That's interesting. It's like people have these uh, odd, uh, odd ideas. Now these odd ideas, and uh, I've never seen that before, any place, even in Muncie, you know, Muncie. It's a place where they have a lot of, they're very, very concerned about doing everything right. Even if they have to invent right at the time in order to, to have that concern, but... All right. All right, so this is what the Ramban said. The Ramban said that there's another aspect to the story that Moshe Rabbeinu is telling. And that is that before everybody goes to Eretz Yisrael to conquer the land, he wants them to make sure that they know that he, Moshe Rabbeinu, is dying to go to Eretz Yisrael, even though it doesn't make any sense. And we know that this is a problem in Hasidut. Not the Hasidut we learned today, but in Hasidut it's a problem. Like at the end of the day, why did B'nai Yisrael want to go to Eretz Yisrael? At the end of the 40 years, at the beginning of the second year, they didn't want to go. What changed? What changed? They were living like a wondrous, miraculous life. Right? You know, that the man and had uh, Miriam's well, and uh, their clothes never went bad, they didn't have tailors, and they all felt good, you know, healthy and young. I mean, you know, they died when they died, but there was no, nothing bad happened to them. And what did they do? They, they went to Kolel. According to the Gemara, they learned from Moshe Rabbeinu. Every day was another Shia. You could hear it over again from Yeshua bin Nun, etc., etc. What was it exactly that would convince them that after the 38 years of punishment that they should go to Eretz Yisrael, where what awaited them was war? They had to, would have to do battle against the, uh, the native population, so to speak. But in the desert... They could just keep wandering around in the desert. I mean, what would be, what would be so terrible? So Moshe Rabbeinu, I mean, the last thing, according to the Ramban, that Moshe Rabbeinu taught in Israel personally, like he sort of said to them, you could be like me. 
I love Eretz Yisrael. Why does he love Eretz Yisrael? Because you can gain mitzvot in Eretz Yisrael that you can't do any place else. So if you stayed in the desert, even if HaKadosh Baruch Hu fed you and clothed you and took care of everything else, you still couldn't do the mitzvah of Trumas and Mises. You couldn't do that. And since you couldn't do that, there would be incompleteness uh, uh, about you, about you, about who you are, about what you are. And that incompleteness was something that Moshe Rabbeinu was very much aware of and something that he wanted to share with Am Yisrael. So we have these ideas, we have these different ideas about did he pray and why did he pray and, and maybe he didn't pray at all but he was just reviewing the story and maybe the story is about the love that Moshe Rabbeinu had for, for Eretz Yisrael. So let's see, let's see a Hasidus, how the Hasidus uh, took care of this and we'll learn it chronologically after. We'll start from the Meshilor. And then go to Rav Nat, two of my favorite, uh, two of my favorite people, you know, let's say. So what did, uh, what did the Meshilach say about this? You see the Meshilach? Next to the last section. In, in other words, the, the hidden question of the Meshiloch is, I understand that Moshe Rabbeinu taught the Israel, they told them things that they had done wrong, try to warn them not to do that when they go to Eretz Yisrael, that's tochacha. But why did he tell them about his own davening that was unsuccessful? I mean, what was the lesson here? It was Moshe Rabbeinu Davin to go into Eretz Yisrael. HaKadosh Baruch told Moshe Rabbeinu, you can't go into Eretz Yisrael. Right? No. What, 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 what am I supposed to learn from that? What's the lesson? That, uh, that even Moshe Rabbeinu's davening doesn't count? I mean, what, what's the point? So the Meishi Law says, Afal Pikein Hevin Hevin Lahem Shelo Yachshavu Shetfiloto he says, in spite of that, he wanted to teach B'nai Yisrael that his davening was not in vain. It had, it's not true that it had no purpose. How so? Ki be'emet, af be'etnagut Eretz Yisrael, gam sham ani harav shalachem. After all, Moshe Rabbeinu said, this is not a retirement speech. I will be with you in Eretz Yisrael. And I will be with you all the generations. And therefore the things that I teach you are of ultimate importance. Where Allah And he would show them that the tefillah actually works. V'chein mashma milashon v'chanan shehu milashon hitpa'el. Remember we talked about that at the beginning? That v'chanan is after all, just like hitpa'el, milashon hitpa'el. Right, that binyan, we call that, that's the seventh binyan, hitpa'el. Hainu shenaseh Melotachanunim, 
What does Vetchanan mean? It's from the word Tachanun. Tachanun means a very serious request. Ve Ayat Vilatosh Urabipiv. And he was able to daven easily all the time. Vizera Ayah. Ki Hashem Yitbarach Shalachlo. It Aruta Lehit Palet. So that the use is against Rashi, right? The use of the word Chanun says that the tefillah was a special kind of tefillah. It wasn't regular. What was special about it? It was something that was easily repeated by Moshe Rabbeinu. He had it clear in his mind that he knew that he was saying. And therefore, it must have been, it must have been, Itaruta literal. What's itaruta? The Hebrew word itorerut. What's itorerut? It's something that you can't really explain to yourself. You suddenly feel you have to do something. You suddenly feel that that now's the time where you could daven. Say daven mincha. What? Maybe, maybe spiritual, but that's a itorerut. Itorerut to do something. Sometimes you 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 just feel that now's the time. You don't think you have to do something. But well, suddenly you feel you have to do it. That's called itaruta, and and usually in the Zohar it's called itaruta dilatata. Like sometimes it originates with us, and sometimes it's itaruta dilaela. It it originates in heaven, and sometimes you can make that distinction. But according to the Rishonim, it's kosher that if Moshe Rabbeinu said what Hanan el Hashem, he meant I did something important. In other words, I didn't just stop Davin. God wanted me to Davin. That's why what what's he saying to B'nai Israel? I Davin that it didn't work? What sort of lesson is that? No, no, he's saying to them, I Davin, and I knew that I had to Davin. Otherwise, I wouldn't have done it. I'm going to ask God to change the, the, the decision. That God said, you're not going to go to Eretz Israel. I'm going to Davin to go to Eretz Israel. That doesn't make sense. But I say, no, God wanted me to daven this davening, and that's called itarut alitpalel. Then came, he says, betach, lo chazrareka. He says, it can't be. That there was no, that nothing happened. That this prayer was not answered. That can't be. V'zeh remez ba'eta ba'et Zerevis, what is remez in this case? What does it mean? That's why the words Be'etahi are in the Pasuk. Why is it Be'etahi? Hainu, you see the, the Meshilach? Afachash Nishbach Rishbok Shiloi Kadim Yachnis Odil Eretz Yisrael. Afachachin Lomanati Adats Mimitfilah. Kodi'ita. Okay, in other words, even though Akadosh Bochu didn't. Uh, I said what, what he said. I knew I wasn't going to go to Eretz Israel. Nevertheless, I davened anyway. Was, what's the lesson? What's the lesson? That davening is something that you do even if you know, and this doesn't happen to anybody except Moshe Rabbeinu, that you're not going to be answered. But it doesn't happen. You know, according to the Meshilach, we're not learning history. And we're not learning that Moshe Rabbeinu tried and was not successful. What we are learning is that Moshe Rabbeinu, what Moshe Rabbeinu taught Am Yisrael, the thing that they had to know before they went to Eretz Yisrael, was that davening is always important. 
even if you know that whatever you're davening for, you're not going to get, it's still important to, to daven, and that's what the Meshilos thought that Moshe Rabbeinu was teaching all B'nai Israel, and then he goes on and he says, the king said to Yishayahu Anavi, he says, I'm interested in what you have to say. Because what I learned, Mibet Abba was, Ein l'chadavah sh'omei b'pnei ha'rachamun, l'amdu sh'am ha'gmara, sh'lo yiyed avar chotzeitz b'no l'vein ha'kir. That when you daven, there shouldn't be anything between you and the wall. Ha'inu sh'lo yiyel adam sh'um m'ni'ah, it's palace. This is what he, he understands the, the Gemara said. There's nothing. In, in other words, for the Meshiloach, for the Meshiloach, davening is not about getting something. Davening is about who you are. If you are a person who davens, then you'll daven. It doesn't matter how bad things are. Now, I don't want to, you know, you bring up uh, the, you know, the, the Rebbe and the Warsaw Ghetto, the Pinsechner, you know, that he wrote the Tfilot, he wrote Tfilot in the, in the ghetto, that even though he knew that, I mean, his son, his son, his son-in-law, his son-in-law, his daughter, and their children were killed. They were all standing together with the Rebbe. And they were killed at the same time in the Warsaw Ghetto. He had nothing left to daven for, so to speak. He was all gone. And he was alive. But he just kept davening. Because davening this is what the Meshilon says. I don't know where the piece such the you know, got the Koyach from, but what the Meshilon said is that davening is a human quality. It's a personality trait. It's true you can daven for something. And it's true probably that when you daven for something, the chances of something happening change. Right? In other words, I, we don't know the Chacheshbon that they make by Shamayim. I mean, everything's very complicated. It's not true that if you daven, you get it. That's certainly not true. But let's say even that davening does something. Davening changes the percentages a little bit. But that's not what the Meshiloch is talking about. The Meshiloch is saying that what Moshe Rabbeinu thought, that he should teach B'nai Yisrael on the eve of his departure of leadership, is that davening is not like going to the bank. It's not like you need something, so you go to the bank. Or you want to deposit something, you go to the bank. Davening is a personality. There are people who daven. Davening has nothing to do, it's not ultimate, not uniquely have to do with the chances that you're going to get what you want. Davening has to do with the person that we're talking about. You're either a daven or you're not a daven. And if you're not a Dabba, then you can become a Dabba. That's why I think that the Meishit Loch is saying, so at Chanel HaShem, the Meishit Loch says, what's Moshe Rabbeinu teaching B'nai Yisrael? That he davened, that he wasn't, uh, he wasn't answered in heaven? Why would that be important for them to know on the eve of, of Moshe Rabbeinu's departure? So here you have Moshe Rabbeinu, who whenever he davened, and whenever he argued with, uh, with heaven, he was always victorious. <laughs> He, he was able to save Am Yisrael from destruction. He was able to do something no one has able to do, been able to do before or, or since. 
And so Moshe Rabbeinu wanted to, to leave this message that davening is very democratic. You don't have to be Moshe Rabbeinu. That even if the situation is bleak and dire, and there's no possible way that you could see yourself escaping from the consequences that are upon you, nevertheless, we remain governors. Because that's, that's, all the, that's the content of the davening, right? the requests that we make, are important. But that's not what davening is uniquely. So davening is democratic and it talks about a personality who understands, who thinks that his fate is with heaven. That's all, that's what davening is. Davening is about your relationship to heaven. Shouldn't have anything between you and the wall when you daven. What is the key here? Nothing should prevent you. Nothing. What is nothing? A catastrophe. A disaster. It's like Daniel and his friends begot Arayot. Right, Daniel and his friends, they were in this uh, lion's den. So usually what happens in the lion's den when the lions get hungry, they eat what, uh, what's available. They daven. And nothing happened. And, 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 and not because they thought that something, that the miracle would happen, but because they, that's what they did. They daven. That's why they threw them to the lion's den. Because they daven. Because Daniel, when he would go to state dinners, you know, and they would bring out this like little halal kosher meal. What? Not so little. But it's good, I know this. So, uh, uh, so he made them. Yeah, he wouldn't. He wouldn't bow down to the idols that they, that they had built. So it was like human alliance them because that was a good way of killing somebody. But then Leo and his friends, they just doubled. The Lord Yisrael Avshadir Elo. Next to the last line, Ki Yitzay Agzayrami Hashem. Lord Yisrael, don't be lazy. Even if it seems to you that the situation is not going to change, that the that that the, the the flood is coming, the flood is coming. Ki Kiru Mikol Chachayim. Because the word Kir, remember in the Gemara it says, Shloya Davar Chotzeitz Beinol Bein Hakir. What's a kir? A kir means wall. But he says kir, umikor hachayim. It's like the same letters. Kir and makor, the source of life. But nothing should stand between you and the source in life. What do you mean nothing? The source of life. What's the nothing? Not even certain disaster. If you see that the, like everything's coming to an end, that it's all over, that, 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 that terrible things are going to happen, you still have to dump. You still have to dump because you have to keep yourself attached. So I think that the, that the Meshiloach has redefined at least a little bit has redefined prayer for us. Like, well, what is prayer? Prayer is the ultimate human reaction. Whatever's happening, I don't want to give up that connection. I don't want to give up the Kesha that I have to have. And this is what the Meishilov says. Remember the Meishilov is the, uh, 
beginning of the 20th century, right? The beginning of the 20th century. That's it with Rav Nachman. Rav Nachman is, this, is the grandson of the Baal Shem Tov's daughter. The Baal Shem Tov's daughter, whose name was Uru. And her grandson was Nachman. Her grandson. So Rav Nachman was the, like the fourth generation after the Baal Shem Tov, and he saw himself as being the kind of the legitimate continuer of the Baal Shem Tov in the world, and he thought there were a lot of other people who claimed to be rebellion who were not such authentic uh, uh, representatives. And of course, that's why nobody liked Fred Nachman, and he didn't like anybody else, and that's how it is. So finally, he had to go to, uh, to Uman, which was uh, like unoccupied. There were very few people there. So there he found the peace and quiet. Uh, this, uh, the, the, the women's weekend in Ulan is coming up, by the way. Those of you who are interested in, in weekends. <laughs> what? No, no, it's only for women. They have to... <laughs> the, but he has to read. I mean, they, they stay down all day long, you know? He doesn't read anything. Uh, it's nice, it's nice. You go to like Sociala, you have all these Goyim who live there. And they can't understand what God bestowed upon them that, that they were able to make so much money. You know, they, uh, they live in the Ukraine. They, they weren't able to eke out a living. And all of a sudden, these funny-looking Jews come, and they leave money every place. Very nice ones, what? Well, we know a lot about the people who didn't like him at that time. We don't know too much. Well, he actually had Talmidim. He had his Chassidim, who liked him a lot. But in those days, there was, you know, communication was difficult. If you lived a hundred miles away, you really didn't know what was going on. And Rav Nachman didn't, uh, didn't come to uh, uh, attention, you know, for hundreds of years. It's only today. It's only now that... Why was it? Yeah, there were no, really no Bratzlum Hasidim. It was not a... You know, it looked for a while like it wasn't such a good idea, this idea of having a Rebbe who was dead. And then it's, now it's turned around. I, I'm not sure why, but uh, and people like it. You know, Brad, first of all, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you a very short story. Years and years ago, I hired, I, I was trying to find somebody to teach Hasidut in the yeshiva. So, uh, so it was a Braslava guy came in, you know, one of these mad geniuses. And he said he wanted, he wanted a job. So I said, look, uh, I'm not into mad geniuses at the moment. And he said, I said to, like, I said to him, if you tell me, why is it that the, all the Bratzler guys that I meet seem to be crazy? That's the question in the interview. So he says, well, if you, meaning you Litvaks, would think about what we think about, you'd also be crazy. <laughs> So I said, okay. But I didn't hire him. <laughs> I don't know, maybe it was a mistake. So I, I don't know, I mean, just, just recently, you know, why did they have all these um, 
Chabakutnikim around today. I mean, what happened? Well, well you know, in Eretz Yisrael, life is too good, life is too bad. Everything's too easy, everything's too hard. I mean, who knows? But, but people, young people, are willing to go to the army for a couple of years, that puts off life. And they're willing to become Chabakutnikim, which puts off life, because eventually you have to earn a living. So for a while, you walk, I went to a wedding today, you know, like the, so the Chatan is dressed in a white, uh, like, uh, t-shirt, white pants that I remember that people used to wear in camp, in Shabbos, as Yemenite payers, big white, you know, it's like a certain style, a certain style, and uh, if you look around, you won't find many people 50 years old who look like that. Yeah, They'll figure it out. So I don't know why. Why does it happen? I guess, you know, people say that they're looking for Ruth Chaniyot. And uh, so I think it's a hard case to argue. So here's, the, here's what Rav Nachman said. Listen. Rav Nachman was 200 years before, not 200, 150 years before, the Meshulah. Rav Nachman said that Chanan Hashem ate only more. Inei ha'adam sarich l'talel b'tvekut gadol l'Hashem yitbarach. Clear. You have to daven. How do you daven dvekut? What does dvekut mean? Dvek, what? Well, no. It means, it means we stuck together. Where's this? If you ever learn, if you ever learn uh, Kabbalah, you learn, uh, I mean, you know, in, in, uh, in English, you learn that there's a, the notion of the unio mystical, right? that somehow we believe, or many people believe, many people, not just Jews, believe that they can achieve a kind of a special station or status in relationship to Kodesh Baruch They can be, they can cleave to God. That's how Dvekut is often uh, uh, translated. You know, it's very good to translate a word that you don't understand with another word that you don't understand. But whoever's doing that sounds very intelligent. So how you can cleave to God basically. But the davatkabo uh, uh, to cleave to God. It's a word that describes closeness beyond the regular. So this is what Rabbi Nachman says. Adam it has nothing to do with the topic of the davening. It has to do with the state that you're in when you daven. Achim lefamim yesh eit she'en yachol yitkalel b'dvekut. Well, there are all people who claim that they don't want to shul, they don't feel like it. I mean, it's like little kids. Big kids and little kids are the same, exactly. Just that little kids are honest. And little kids will say, I don't want to go to shul. But I was a little kid because my mitzvah, he knocked the honesty out of him and he says, I'm sick. I can't go to shul, right? That's, uh, but he won't say anymore, I don't want to go to shul. He'll say, I'm sick. I can't go to shul today. So, so he, says, he says, what about when you feel that you can't dive in the dreykut? How you marry any A person should not say that he's not davening. Just because he can't daven properly, he can't 
have proper kavanah, and he doesn't have proper dveikut, he shouldn't think to himself that his davening has no point and no value that what does that have to do with anything? Your tefillah has to do with kavanah and tveikut. That's what tefillah is about. He says, Afal picha, gizel adech shamaynu in bitveikut, shazay tefillah shkurab moritza b'fi b'kubelet, v'imlav chas v'shalom l'hefech. Afal pichein, al yomar adam kein b'abnach b'tzez. Ela yitpalel tamit. You never should use the state that you're in. The feeling that you have at the moment, the feeling that you just can't daven right now, it's not the time to daven. That feeling should not impinge on davening. Davening is more important than that. And he says, He says, Five lines at the bottom. Even if you can't daven properly, daven as hard as you can. And he says, because there's a bank, there's a tefillah bank. And even if your tefillah is not properly done this moment, when you get to a tefillah, when you get to daven properly, they yaleh et kol ha-tefillot, v'zeh v'etchanan el Hashem tamid, v'etchanan el Hashem tamid ben b'dveikut, ben shelo b'dveikut. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu was teaching B'nai Yisrael, in a manner similar to the Meshila, although I think that this is further developed a little bit than the Meshila, that everybody, everybody has to daven, whether they want to daven or they don't want to daven. This is the lesson that Moshe Rabbeinu, that Moshe Rabbeinu gave them. Ben bitveikut, ben shilo bitveikut. Ba'et ha'ilemor, ha'inu. Ba'et she'esked le'talel bitveikut. Ba'etvalel Hashem, ba'et ha'ilemor. Even if I'm not davening now, but I'll daven later, I'll be able to achieve this level of davening that I want to achieve. I'm able to daven. So, according to Rav Nachman the Bratzlov, so this was the lesson that Moshe Rabbeinu left B'nai Yisrael with. That there are no, there are no tefillot that are wasted. So if Moshe Rabbeinu prayed to go into Eretz Yisrael, if Moshe Rabbeinu prayed to go into Eretz Yisrael, and his prayer was rejected, that prayer will be accepted ultimately. That's what Rav Nachman said. There will be another prayer that Moshe Rabbeinu will daven. And that prayer will bring up all the other prayers with it. And so Rashi said that after the Milchama with Sichon for Og, 
it was as though the prayer of Moshe Rabbeinu was answered. So what Moshe Rabbeinu is saying is, but Hashem So but I wasn't. There was no response from heaven. I didn't get what I wanted. But finally, that was at the time of the Aveira, the time when they hit the stone, and still Moshe Rabbeinu hit the stone and speaking to the stone. But now that we're about to enter Eretz Yisrael, I tell you this that my prayer was answered, that I'm going, that I'm already in Eretz Yisrael, that the land of Sichon Va'og was converted to Eretz Yisrael for my benefit. And there's one other raya in the parasha of Etchanan. One other raya in the parasha of Etchanan. What did Moshe Rabbeinu do? He established the three Arei Miklat, the Eva Hayardein Mizracha. In this parasha, the parasha of Etchanan, what does it mean to establish a Miklat? It means you're there. It wasn't that Moshe Rabbeinu taught them the Torah of Arei Miklat. He actually picked out the cities and he, and he established them. He established them because he was already in Eretz Israel. So that according to Rabbeinu, the Bratzav, this is how it goes. True Moshe Rabbeinu David at the time that they hit the rock. And then this prayer was not answered. But why did Moshe Rabbeinu? Why did Moshe Rabbeinu uh, uh, do it because no prayer is ultimately unanswered. According to the Meshiloach, even it seems that your prayer is unanswered, it's important to doubt. But according to Abnachman of Bratzlev, ultimately no prayer remains unanswered because eventually you're going to dab in a real davening. And that real davening is going to schlep up all the other davening with it and they will all be answered. So Moshe Rabbeinu Vethanan it was not answered. That was years ago. But now that we've conquered the land of Sichon Ba'og and we've uh, uh, established the Ore Miklat on the eastern side of the Jordan River, my prayer was answered. And even though I'm not allowed to go there, I am allowed to go here. Eretz Israel is right here where we are, where we are today. Have a good Shabbos. Marev. Marev.